goal for the Irish at the timeout. Williams, right to the right side. Powers to the end zone. Look, low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and finding McKinley goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back into another edition of the Golden Homers podcast. I'm here back with my co-host, Mason Plummer, this week. He was uh, out of town last week, like I mentioned, wasn't able to hop on the podcast, but we had Tom Loy, who was a great fill-in. Uh, I'm sure we'll have Tom Tom on some more, just a good friend of the show and all that kind of stuff. So I hope you guys enjoyed that one, but happy to have Mason, Mason back this week. After, you know, probably Notre Dame's best offensive performance, not only this year, but honestly, like, I know I understand the North Carolina defense is is less than spectacular, to say it kindly. Um, but honestly, just from a, you know, after that, those first couple series uh, for Notre Dame, it was one of the better Notre Dame offensive performances over the last couple seasons, um, certainly against a power five opponent. So, and there's some stats to kind of back that up. I don't know if Mason, if you've listened to some other podcasts or dug into some stats yet this week, but uh, I heard some interesting stuff that might kind of ease some of the worries or, you know, skepticism, I guess, involved with, uh, with the performance, even though uh, UNC has that bad defense. So, um, but how are you doing today, man? And uh, maybe just some quick thoughts real quick before we dive in real uh, further. Yeah, doing well. Like you mentioned last week, I was out uh, on a work trip, uh, did a week long trip in New Jersey for some extra training for my job. I've never been to the East Coast before, so that was super cool. Um, but yeah, I can tell you what, recording these is a lot more fun after a win. So especially a win like that, where Notre Dame was a dog, never thought they were truly a dog, but um, went in there and played really well offensively. You know, if you told me Notre Dame went out and scored 40 plus, you know, I don't know if I would have believed you to be honest, but ran the ball at will, got back to what Notre Dame football truly is, just dominating the line of scrimmage. I mean, in that fourth quarter, everyone knew Notre Dame was running the ball and they still did it. That's the kind of stuff I like to see. So um, moving forward, this is a good uh, good place to, uh, to build from. You almost wish the bye week wasn't this week because, you know, I feel like they have some momentum now, but hopefully they carry that through the bye. You know, they, I think they've really found something here. And of course, not every defense is going to be North Carolina, but you know, you, you have something, you have some success offensively now. So let's keep that going. And, you know, let's finish 10 and two. Yeah. And you mentioned the momentum, you know, you kind of wish it wasn't a bye week. I'm okay with it just because you do have a pretty tough opponent in BYU coming up. However, um, even with that said, I mean, I do think there's some deficiencies in the BYU uh, and we'll get more into this next week when we have like a little bit more time to kind of study BYU and think about the Notre Dame game in Vegas um, against them coming up. But I think they're going to be able to run the football against BYU. I think they're honestly going to be able to run the football against everybody, maybe outside of Clemson. And even then, I think if this offensive line is still gelling at that point, no injuries or anything like that, um, you know, I kind of have, I mean, we're not really doing bold predictions and stuff like that this week, just because, you know, there's no game, but I kind of have a bold prediction just in regards to the rest of the season for, for the Notre Dame rushing attack and different things like that. So um excited to dive into that, but just want to maybe talk a little bit more about the, uh, the UNC game. I, I mentioned to you, obviously that they have, you know, this was one of the better performances in a while. I think I read or heard that it was the, um, I forget what the exact stat was, but something in regards to the offensive efficiency 
and the or no, it was sorry, it was the amount of first downs. I think they had like 35, 36 total first downs um, this week. That was the most first downs they've had in a game since like 1976 against Army. I think that was the date. So you take that in. Notre Dame's offense has been so bad this year, kind of leading up until maybe like that, the end of the Cal game. And then all of a sudden they put out their best performance, at least from a efficiency standpoint or first down standpoint, whatever you want to call, like just moving the chains. Um, I kind of view that as efficiency because it keeps you on the field. It keeps a really, really potent, you know, UNC offense off the field. And, you know, again, <laughs> I don't want to say anything too, too rude about the North Carolina defense, but it's pretty bad. Um, I wanted to use some other words, but, you know, those are better, better used for group chats and Twitter and all that kind of stuff, maybe. But um, that still shows something. Notre Dame has played worse teams than this North Carolina offense. But I also think it's credit to not only the Notre Dame offense for putting up points, but the Notre Dame defense for holding North Carolina at times to where Notre Dame's offense can get the ball back and then just have this ball control offense to where, you know, essentially they keep Drake May and Josh Downs off the field. Um, and then on top of that, they made them one dimensional. I think as a total, North Carolina had about 66 yards rushing as a team. I mean, Notre Dame had almost 300. So that kind of tells the tells the picture right there. And then on top of that, you had, you know, a, a team in North Carolina that put up, what was it, like 51, 52 points per game going into this game. I know it was against bad opponents. Um, overall, I mentioned that on the podcast last week. I mean, you had an FCS opponent in Florida and Florida AM. App State, who, you know, is a quality program, but still a group of five. And then Georgia State, who, again, quality program, but group of five. And Notre Dame was able to hold them significantly under their season average. And, and really, like, outside of, I mean, you could argue that they had a couple garbage time touchdowns, not just not just, uh, not just the one at the end of the game. And if Audrick Estime doesn't fumble on the goal line, then, you know, maybe we're talking about even a, a bigger spread. Or, or a bigger score. So overall, just a, a dominant performance. They won by 13, but it felt more like 28. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, you mentioned as far as the rushing numbers, half of those were on the first UNC drive with Drake May getting out of the pocket. So really, you know, you take out that first drive and Notre Dame allowed like 30 yards the rest of the game. And I understand that they want to sling it around and running isn't necessarily their forte, but still that's impressive. So yeah, I liked a lot of things that I saw. However, I think we are kind of prone to forgetting the very beginning of the game where Pine was getting passes swatted down and things kind of looked ugly there for a second. Um, he looked great the rest of the game, but I remember in the very beginning being like, oh my God, like, here we go. Um, I'm going to start yelling at the TV again. We're not going to score points. Like bad things are going to happen. Then uh, things kind of figure themselves out. So here's hoping that Tommy Reese, Drew Pine, everybody found something this week because we need it. And um, I need it for my sanity moving forward. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago where, you know, Drew Pine has his limitations. I, I still think he's a solid, you know, power five quarterback. I mean, he can play on a lot of power five teams. Is he, is he the guy that's going to lead you to a national championship? Probably not, unless everything else is just amazing. Kind of like a Stenson Bennett at Georgia. If you just have all of the athletes that Bennett has at Georgia, you know, and a guy that's a fifth year senior who's been in the program for a while, then, yeah, maybe, maybe you can win a national championship with Drew Pine. But you know, there are some limitations to his game, but everything else performing better, meaning the running game, the offensive line, which is essentially attributes to the running game. Honestly, the receivers probably having their best game. 
Um, you know, obviously they put up a lot of points and, and the I think the receivers had like 10, 11 catches on the day, which definitely beat their, their averages for the season, you know, Logan Diggs coming back healthy and, and looked really good. It's going to kind of go to my bold prediction or later on where I talk about the running game or at least the three headed monster. I think that Notre Dame has there. Defensive line, you know, every week it seems like another guy's having a really good week. Jacob Lacey kind of had his breakout performance against Cal. Riley Mills had two sacks this week. Foskey seems to be rounding into, into shape. You know, I'm not going to harp too much on the Notre Dame secondary because they've been very solid this year. I mean, they had some lapses, I think, against North Carolina, but everybody's going to have lapses against North Carolina. They have one of the best receiving cores in the country. I think they have a, a surefire top 10 pick in Drake May when he decides to, you know, to go to the NFL someday. So, um, and again, we, we talk about how they kind of held them to their average, you know, b- way below their average uh, overall. So um, Drew Pine, not, not taking anything away from him. I think he played well. He played within his means, within, you know, the, the offensive game plan. And I think he's a kid that he's he's smart. He's he's a little scrappy when he actually when, when he when he gets his confidence going, I think he's a very confident player, honestly, almost borderline cocky. You know, you saw the McGregor walk he had last year against Wisconsin. Um, so he's a kid that and I don't want to call him a front runner, but he's a kid that if he is front running and he's having a good day, I don't see it really changing. Like I saw like, throughout that game, I kept thinking, man, like I'm just waiting for that pick, that bad throw from him. But I honestly don't think he's one of those guys that's going to throw that interception when he's having a good day. Now, he might do it early and then kind of get his confidence going later on. Um, but I just don't see how that, that's probably the biggest strength, because like from a physical you know, attribute standpoint, it's not there. I, th- I think we can all agree on that. I mean, maybe outside of a few guys that we've talked, you know, that we've seen on Twitter who seem to be like Drew, Drew Pine fanboys. Um, and again, not taking away, th- away from the case, Notre Dame quarterback. I think he's a solid quarterback. but when everything else is going right, that's when he's going right. And then it just helps that he's a confident kid on top of that. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have the physical tools and he doesn't necessarily, you have to have that confidence that you're the man, you know, for the job or he wouldn't be in the position that he is. So uh, not to say that he's some like terrible quarterback. He's not, he, he, like you said, he's a power five starter. Um, but is he the guy to lead Notre Dame to a championship? Probably not. So um, he's, he's doing a great job for now, but I'm curious to see, you know, I threw it out on Twitter. Um, I'm already thinking towards the future. It's just kind of the way I'm wired, I guess. It's like if Drew Pine is something I want to discuss with you, actually, if Drew Pine is the starter heading into fall, like game one next season, is that like a, is that a loss for Notre Dame? That, that has to be a bad thing. I'd imagine. I mean, you can't, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm curious for your thoughts. Well, I think it's easier to look towards the future when you have two losses and you know you're not going to make the college football playoff. If Notre Dame had found a way to beat Marshall, they were three and one, whatever it may be, then you know maybe we're not looking more towards the future. We're just like hoping that they can kind of salvage. Um, I mean, we're, we're already hoping they can salvage a season, and I think they're kind of on the path of doing that. But one loss, you know, you're still in an opportunity to make the college football playoff. So it's okay to look more towards the future. Yeah, no, I, I think that your question about Pine being the guy next year if, or if it would be good for Notre Dame if he was the guy next year is completely legitimate. I mean, first and foremost, Notre Dame didn't see him as the guy this year. So that that's the first the first thing right there. And then, uh, I mean, kind of just going to your question, you know, I saw it under the – I saw it under Tim Priester's tweet. You had some comments under there. I agree with some of the comments that people had in regards to it's sort of wait and see. 
I mean, I think as much as me and you want Buckner to be the guy or if Buckner's not the guy next year, you know, hopefully Steve Angeli can take that next step or, you know, you bring in like a really, 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 you know, dominant transfer that you just can't say no to, you know, those seem like better options on the surface. Cause I do think there's a cap on Drew Pine in regards to being a national championship level quarterback, but I still, you still got to see it with Pine. I mean, if he finishes this year with just great numbers and, you know, you see some more stuff. I mean, you saw it a little bit against North Carolina where he can push the ball down the field. It's actually another thing I want to get into because I think some of that's a little bit misleading um, because there, there's a difference between having a clean pocket and throwing it down the field and making some of these throws that you need to be able to make to be a considered, you know, a dominant college quarterback and be an NFL prospect. I mean, because there's NFL players can make all these throws. And I don't think Drew Pye can. There was a few, there was a few, I mean, decisions he made or just lack of throws he was able to make or plays he was able to make against North Carolina that still have my concern. That play where Michael Mayer was wide open um, when he was kind of running to his right. That's a throw that I think Tyler Buckner makes, you know, nine out of 10 times. I'm not sure Drew Pine makes that throw nine out of 10 times because he's sort of like halfway committed to the run couldn't get a good grip on the ball or just not enough strength on the ball while he was running and kind of figuring out what he was going to do. Um, but a lot of, you know, a lot of players can make that play. And then there was another play where he was going to his right and he was kind of doing the same thing. He was he, he couldn't decide if he was going to keep the ball or run. It might've been because he, he tried to tuck it the first time. And then when he tried to regrip it, he couldn't get it. So he kind of held the ball a little bit longer but he's not a good enough athlete from a pure running standpoint to like that, pro that process needs to be quicker. He either needs to just pick up the three yards like Ian book used to do, or, or he needs to just either throw it away or find the open receiver a little bit quicker, because I don't think he has the natural ability as a thrower, a runner to kind of have that thinking thought process in that time frame. Cause even a bad defense like North Carolina will be able to close on you. And, you know, they still have quality athletes out there. So I guess the answer to your question is it's sort of wait and see, but at the same time, it's, you know, I, I would be somewhat underwhelmed, at least as it stands right now, if he was the opening day starter for Notre Dame next year. I think I'd be very underwhelmed and I want to give him a fair shot, but I just want somebody that has the tools to take you to a national championship. And if that's not what we have, then move on kind of thing where I'm, I'd be willing to give Angeli a shot or CJ Carr or a transfer or Buckner or somebody because you kind of know what you have in Drew Pine and it's just, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, he's good for what we have now. I mean, you're kind of in a tough spot where you start him or a true freshman. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm always looking towards the future as in like, I want Notre Dame to get a dude at quarterback, a guy, an NFL guy. And that seems to be a major struggle. Like where, where are we getting our Justin Herbert, our, you know, our CJ Stroud, our Bryce Young, our yeah. just college quarterback stud. And it seems to really be difficult. Um, I mean, I know that they aren't a dime a dozen, but man, I mean, just to be able to get one, you could argue that the most talented or guy that should have stayed would be Deshaun Kaiser. And it's too bad that didn't work out, but um, somebody else, somebody like that where you can keep them and develop them and, I don't know. Uh, Tommy Reese is getting his number one guy in the classes. It seems like other than Dante Moore, this cycle where he's, you know, he's going out, he's finding his guy, but it, it, is development an issue. You know, Tommy Reese has been around for a while and you're not turning these guys into 
top-notch NFL quarterbacks. And maybe that's just the, the hand you're being dealt. But if you have your pick, you're getting your guy, you're telling everybody, this is my guy. Why isn't it turning into an, an NFL guy? Why? I mean, I, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, in reality, and maybe I'm a little bit too much pro Reese here, but I, it's kind of a, you know, we can go back and forth on this. Wasn't Tyler Buckner his first guy that he recruited as the offensive coordinator? Like, as the actual OC, not just the QB coach. I understand as the QB coach, he was involved with players as well. And, you know, he deserves he deserves a little bit of that because he did like Drew Pine. You know, he was involved with Phil Dracovic, Um, even though if I don't know if he was 100% there when when Dracovic was first being recruited by Notre Dame. I'm not 100%. I need to kind of go back to the timeline. But in reality, like, as the offensive coordinator and QB coach, Buckner was his first guy. And we know what happened there. I mean, I know I don't want to keep beating a dead horse in regards to the this idea that, you know, Buckner missed his, you know, senior season due to COVID. And like obviously last year was a gadget player. And then now he's going to miss another full season, essentially a play. But that was his first guy. So I really want to see you have Buckner, you have, you know, now you have Angeli, who's a freshman, you know, whoever he brings in as a 2023 guy or maybe a transfer. Um, you know, CJ Carr, obviously in 2024, or if he reclassifies. And I want to see how some guys develop because I'm not 100% convinced that it can just be a development issue when he's essentially his, the first guy he's really recruited as the, the main guy that's in charge of that, um, of that, you know, of, of landing that, that player is, is a kid that's now hurt in his sophomore season when he was supposed to be the starter. And it's just hard to say how he was going to develop. Yeah, his first couple of weeks weren't great, but you know, there was some promise there. We know about the athletic ability. Like I'm still very, very confident in saying that by season's end, Buckner would have had, you know, the, the support of the fan base. Um, you know, maybe that's a weird thing to say because of what we saw, but I'm a, I'm a, I was a believer in his tape in, in high school. I was a believer in some of the stuff I saw last year in spurts and he was just a raw kid. So the kid, I think the people writing him off it's a little bit too soon. And actually I was texting with our buddy, John Kennedy of always Irish last night. And this is actually one of the things I said, I was like, Notre Dame's found their identity and they would have, and if they would have found it with Buckner on the field, it would have looked, it would have looked even better than it was uh, this past weekend in North Carolina. It would have been amplified. And I'm, and I'm pretty comfortable saying that. I mean, again, like I said, maybe it's just me you know, and, and not wanting to give up on him yet, but I think some people are giving up on him too early. And then the other thing I said to him is I think we find out this year that Marshall was just some big anomaly. It doesn't mean Notre Dame is going to go 10 and two or anything like that, but the team was finding themselves while also getting a young QB acclimated to the offense. Um, and then I'll just kind of read this. Everything would be amplified in a good way right now with Buckner starting and people need to understand he's going to be the starter next year, unless they bring in a stud transfer. That's literally what my thought process is. I'm very comfortable rolling with what they have right now in the QB room for next season, obviously add in the 2023 kid. Only difference is if a, if a stud or, or even if a kid hasn't had the opportunity yet at the power five level, like a transfer from Ohio state who loses that battle or from another power five program, kind of similar to that. It either needs to be a kid that's at a, a good, a solid program right now that wants to go to a better level. Who's who's dominated, or it needs to be a kid that you liked a lot coming out of high school. I'll throw out a name, like a Kyle McCord at Ohio state. It needs to be someone like that. Um, who maybe hasn't had the opportunity to show that off yet. 
but that's the only way I'm kind of stepping away from what they have right now, because I think it's just too soon. And, but, but it goes back to this bigger picture of, do I want it to be pine? No, not necessarily, but I do think they have other options there that can take them to a national championship caliber level. Yeah. I don't want it to be pine and I don't want to write off Buckner, you know, to your point, but um, I think it is kind of just bad timing in a way of, you know, the offense coming together under Pine. And I, and you're right, I do think it would have came together under Buckner, but we just didn't see it. So people write him off and then they, they put him together with the, the two losses. And, you know, you compare that to Pine's two wins. And you know, you're probably right. Notre Dame is probably two and two with Buckner at the helm. I think he would get the win against Cal and North Carolina. So tough to say. I mean, circumstantial and uh, hindsight is always 2020, but um, I mean, Notre Dame is a, is better off next season. The ceiling, at least in my opinion, is much higher with Buckner, you know, with the running ability and just his untapped potential. I think we've seen maybe not the very best of Drew Pine, but the ceiling is not that high with him at the helm. So curious to see you know, what kind of unfolds this off season. Count me in for uh, a quarterback transfer. I want a full on battle. I mean, really, if, I mean, CJ Carr, we think he's a dude, right? If he were to reclassify or whatever, I don't know how likely that is anymore. But um, Angeli, he's, he's talented. So how many quarterbacks could we really have in this in this race? I mean, could it really legitimately be like a four or five quarterback guy, like, you know, competition? That's crazy. I mean, yeah, I'm, I mean, obviously you have to. It's very much by week conversation. If you guys right, can't tell. right. Yeah, I mean, you have to obviously throw a pine in there because he's going to be the starter the remainder of the season outside of injury or something like that. So you have to throw him in there in the competition. Um you know, maybe you throw Angeli in there. If CJ Carr reclassifies, I don't think he'll be the starter next year, but certainly, I mean, he, we, he's a five-star for a reason. So maybe he shows out, but yeah, man, it's just, it's a, it's a really interesting situation where I don't know. It's just, we'll see, but it, you know what, actually, this is a good one. We had it. We forgot. And this is totally on our, our bad a couple of weeks ago, Mason, me and you forgot to do fan questions on the podcast. And one of the questions was, and I actually answered this on Twitter afterwards, but one of the questions was out of the QB room right now, just Buckner, Pine, and Jelly. Rank them in order of ceiling and rank them in order of floor. Um, I'll let you go first because I kind of did it already, but I, I think we might differ here. Um, and I know I differed from some other Notre Dame, you know, analysts. So I'm, I'm curious of your take. Yeah, I didn't see your tweets, and this is, you know, completely my own uh, volition here. Ceiling, um, in order of highest to lowest, Buckner and Jelly Pine. Okay. And Floor and Jelly Buckner Pine. Wow, so you think Angeli has the highest floor? I, I was – I don't know. I'm debating because I don't – I don't even like Pine's floor. So, so, okay, so me and you are more on the same page. That brings up my, so I had it in the same order for both. I had Buckner right. and Jelly Pine for ceiling. Yep. And I had, well, no, I did have the same order for both. I, I might flip flop it with Pine and then Jelly for floor. I still think yep. Buckner has the highest floor. Um, Cause I think sometimes people, some, I think sometimes people, they, they think a floor is something that it's not. And I think me and you agree that Notre Dame would be two and two right now with Buckner at the helm. Yeah. Based on the first two weeks, based on the next two weeks, they would have won the games against Cal and and North Carolina with Buckner at QB. And this idea that Buckner didn't have a floor just because maybe his his 
he hadn't hit it really yet. Does that make sense? I mean, cause you still have to allow for guys to develop, to get to a floor. There's, I think sometimes that's, that's the mistaken thing is that floor doesn't just rise up for, I mean, you still have to have some game experience to kind of reach a floor. And then from there you go from floor to ceiling. So now I'm, I'm, I'm essentially with you in saying that pine has the lowest ceiling of the three for sure. And he's either second or third, in my opinion, from a floor standpoint. And when, and, and again, when we talk about floor, we're also sort of talking about the ability to bring this team to a national championship. Buckner's floor in a national championship setting, in my opinion, like if they were to play Alabama next year, week one, I think that Buckner would give them the better opportunity to win that game than Pine. That's what I mean by floor. I don't mean who can score the most against North Carolina because everything else is going the right, the, the right way. And maybe that doesn't make sense to some people, but it's just kind of the way my thought process works when it comes to that. Mine was just kind of like, I picture Flores and who, you know, at their worst is still going to be able to produce for you. So, I, I mean, if that makes sense, you know, you, yeah. I, Flores, if you're just having an awful game, who's still going to be serviceable? Who's not going to completely just ruin your entire game? And you're just not even like, you can't even have them out there. Like you need to pull them. Right. Like this year, if, we, if there was a, a healthy Buckner, Notre Dame, like, let's just say they lose to, they're getting hammered by Alabama. Buckner gives them 14 points to make it like 45 to 14. And if Pine is having a really, really bad day, they might get shut out. It might be 45, nothing. That's kind of my thought process there. Cause he doesn't bring anything to your offense outside of some smarts and some, some savvy to actually put points on the board. That's just my personal opinion. And again, I know it feels like we're ripping on the kid. We want the kid to be successful. He obviously just had a terrific game against North Carolina. And I think with everything else going right, he can, he's going to be a, a guy that's going to put up some numbers for them and, and not lose games per se. But when it does come to a possible bad game out of him, like against those really, really top-notch teams, like you can see some really ugly, ugly performances, I think. Yeah. While Buckner at least gives you like, again, again, like for example, against Marshall, the only reason they scored points was because Buckner was able to move the ball with his legs when nothing else was working. Maybe you can blame that on his arm, but if Pine was doing that with his arm, they wouldn't have been able to put up 14 points because they wouldn't have been able to move the ball on the ground. So I guess that's kind of where I get at from there. Yeah. And I think if anything, you know, I don't want it to be misconstrued as we're hating on the guy, but I think it's just you and I believing in Buckner and, not so much hating on Pine. I think, you mean, you said it. If, if at the very least, if Buckner isn't throwing the ball well, then he has his legs to rely on. But if Pine isn't throwing the ball well, then Notre Dame is just not scoring points straight up. That's it. So um, I would like, you know, you'd prefer Buckner to be able to throw the ball well and, and run, but it's nice to be able to rely on the legs too. So, you know, he's a, he's a dual threat, and that's why it's in the name, and that's why it's so big in college football because you can't, at that age and that experience level, you don't always have the super polished passers. So it's nice if a read breaks down, if you don't know where to go with the ball, hey, I'm a 4-4 athlete. Just let me go take off real quick and get you 15. Like there was that argument against Marshall where Buckner shouldn't maybe should only have like three carries in reality and just they should have been able to throw the ball over the field. I would argue it's different. Like if he's not having a good day throwing the ball, like he clearly was not, he didn't have the confidence level in that game to throw the ball. He should be able to just run the ball all over them all game. And Pine can't do that. He needs to be able to throw the football to have success. And he needs to have, honestly, he needs to have everything else work for him to have success. If Notre Dame doesn't run for 300 yards, 
against against North Carolina and they had to rely strictly on the pass it was it, it probably wouldn't have been the performance that we all that, that that it was and I actually I mean I hate to bring up an NFL reference here but I was watching the Bears Texans game yesterday and I said this and obviously the Bears won 23 to 20 I know we have some Bears fans that listen to this podcast with Notre Dame involved in it so I, I think it's an interesting reference to bring up when did, I, did you watch the game at all like will you you Huge red zone guy. So portions. Okay. Not, gotcha. not really, so solo scoring. So I barely saw it. <laughs> so both both teams were running the ball really well, but they weren't throwing the ball that well. Like they needed the run to have effectiveness in that game. At the end of the game, when Houston had to go all the way down the field to score with like a minute 30 left or whatever it was, maybe even less than that. They weren't going to be able to run the ball to do it. They had no timeouts. It's not college football where you can pick up a first down and get to the ball, and it can only takes like two seconds off the clock. It's no, the, cl- the clock's running. You have 15 seconds off the clock before your next stab, whatever it is. I said to my buddy who I was watching with, I I was like, Davis Mills is going to make a mistake in this moment because he has to have a running game to be effective. All of his throws were predicated off play action and Damian Pierce having a really good day on the ground yesterday against the bears and when he had to throw he threw an interception and it set up the game winning field goal for the bears and that was over that's kind of how i view drew pine but at the college level if if notre dame's going to get shut down for example against clemson if notre dame gets shut down by the run against a team like clemson and they have to use pine's arm to win games i don't think it's going to work out well for them but in buckner's situation it he could he could do stuff with his legs by himself. And looking forward, it is likely that Clemson, they have the best defensive line in the country. And it is likely they're going to try to shut down the run. I mean, that's the obvious game plan, make Drew Pine beat you. And can he do it? I don't know. I'm not right. very confident in that. So uh, hoping he gets better, better week by week. And I think he will. But uh, yeah, that Clemson defense is no joke. But this is going to bring me to sort of my bold prediction. And one thing I, I kind of want to get your opinion on. I, this is another thing I sent to John yesterday. And this it's amplified again with Buckner was the quarterback, but even right now, I still kind of believe this. If Notre Dame's offensive line plays like they have the last seven quarters or so, whatever it's been, they might have the best rushing offense in, in college football. Nah, I don't know about that. It's, it's, I, it's, I think it's close. I mean, again, I, I haven't used all the stats to kind of go over what other teams have done, but how many teams have three running backs that can be that effective. And if you want to use them as, passing options as well which we can get to so maybe maybe it's not the best rushing offense in football but it's the most like versatile running or versatile running back room in college football bare minimum I guess is kind of where I'm getting at I see your thought process but at the same time some of those holes that the estimate was running through I think I could have ran for 50 probably on the day give me a good athlete man give let's give yourself some credit I mean, give me 10 carries. I'm running for 50. You know what I mean? So, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I hope you're right. That'd be cool. But I don't, I, and I like the diverse skill set, but I still haven't seen enough from Diggs. I was very impressed with Tyree and Estime, but I've still been kind of let down by Diggs, to be honest. You don't think Diggs had a good performance? I don't think he, I don't, I don't want to say it wasn't good, but it, he's not as good as I thought he would be, maybe. Okay. I was going to throw out there that I thought he was their second. I think he might be their second best wide receiver on the football team. Diggs is? 
Like if you include him as like, just forget the running, forget the depth chart and forget the name on the depth chart, like, or the position on the depth chart. I think this past week really showed what Tommy Reese, because he doesn't have the wide receiver depth and talent that he wants specifically. So he has to use his running backs in those situations. I honestly think that Diggs, from a just a pure receiving standpoint might end up being their second best wide receiver. That is a wild take. But it's but it's wild, but it's not like inconceivable, right? Like we knew this coming out of high school. He was a, he was a good passing cat. He was a, a good pass catching running back, and I think they're going to be able to scheme him into some really really nice plays from a wide receiver standpoint. Like, I know the touchdown; he was wide open. Like you're again, like you well, you said you're you're catching that football and you're running it for a touchdown. Like I get that, but. Even last year, he showed the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. And, you know, he's not slow by any means. He's certainly not Chris Tyree, um, you know, but he's a good athlete. And I think this is like that first week that we saw that they're going to be able to sort of just scheme him into some really, really good opportunities. And like, who else do you trust to catch the football outside of Lorenzo Styles from a receiving standpoint, not take away the tight ends? Not Lindsay. Right. So you like you, you take away Lindsay, you take away Joe Wilkins, who, you know, I think might still be recovering from his injury. Maybe, um, you know, Deion Colsey finally saw some action. We haven't seen Tobias Merriweather yet. So he's obviously just not prepared to play currently. Um, I don't care what anybody says, like, you know, talk about the freshman all you want, but with the wide receiver room, the way it is, if Merriweather was ready to play, they would play him. And, um, you know, obviously they don't have Avery Davis. They didn't bring back Kevin Austin. You know, Jaden Thomas, I mean, finally caught a football this past weekend. But I don't know, man. It was just interesting that, you know, the first two weeks we were all complaining that they weren't getting the running backs involved enough. We knew that the running backs, specifically, we were saying Tyree and maybe Diggs because that was kind of the rotation we thought it was going to be, at least earlier on in the offseason. I don't know, man. It's just I, – I think we finally saw – and I tweeted about this. We saw an offense that – if they play the way they did against North Carolina, again, you're not going to necessarily do that against every team because North Carolina's defense is that bad. But some of the just formations they ran, the schemes they ran, the you know the, the execution from some of those plays, I think you can argue that at least throwing in Diggs and Tyree, you don't need the receivers to be epic. You just need them to be serviceable. You need Lorenzo Styles to probably be a, a, a good player but everybody else just needs to be some sort of threat that if you leave them open or if you leave them on one-on-one -on -one coverage, they can make plays, but you can have that option to have Diggs, Tyree, and even estimate he showed that he can catch the football, at least against Cal, you know, those guys can make plays for you as receivers. And I don't think it's too far-fetched again. I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that Diggs could be their second best receiving option, taking away the tight ends. Cause we know Michael Mayer. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think that's crazy. I don't know if I agree, but I definitely like what they have with those three backs for sure and the flexibility that Reese has to be able to do, you know, a lot of different things. So uh, I'm excited to see him continue to build on it. Now he's got two weeks to, you know, continue to continue to grow on what we saw with was a really exciting and fun to watch offense. I didn't think I'd come out of that game saying that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and it is nice, regardless if he is the, the second best receiver on the roster – you know, it's nice to have three backs that you can trust to put on the offense, essentially at one time. Like if all those guys were on the field at one time, I don't think anybody would complain because you can put Tyree in the slot. You can put Diggs in the slot. You can put two guys in the backfield, 
you know, and have one of the other guys in the slot. You know, they can all pretty much run in short yardage. Um, you know, obviously, SMA is great to have on the goal line or short yardage. But, you know, Tyree has shown that he's improved from that standpoint. I think Diggs is now finally getting healthy. He's back from his illness, whatever that was last week. You know, I, I, that was probably good for him, honestly, for his shoulder to get one more week in there without having to get some contact. So I guess, you know, maybe I'm just overreacting a little bit to this idea that I thought Diggs was essentially going to be a non-factor since he didn't play against Cal. And then we found out it was an illness. And I'm like, ah, maybe, you know, but then they said he was sort of active, but not really. You know, like it's, I don't know, it was just one of those things where like, it just felt like the game plan was to get someone like him involved. And now that they're a couple weeks in and they realize like maybe they have to get a guy like that involved, we could really see this offense get to a different level than at least it was the first three weeks. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I think we're we're finding something and it's it's been a lot more fun to watch. So um, I've been thinking more, you know, as you were speaking about what it would look like with Buckner. And it's a shame that we won't know for a little while, but excited to see Drew Prime continue to progress. Yeah, because me and you are obviously two of the bigger Buckner guys out there, man. It 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 bothers me, but also excites me at the same time to see what that off. Because a lot of those guys are going to be back next year. I mean, outside of Michael Mayer, you pretty much return everybody from an offensive skill standpoint. And we all believe in Raritan and, got, and Mitchell Evans and guys like that. I know Samson's been all over Evans. He was pretty much saying that he thinks Evans is going to be really, really good. And he's supposed to be back in a couple weeks. So maybe that's a wash with the Kevin Bauman news, which is super unfortunate for that kid. So, no, it, it really excites me to see what this offense could look like with Buckner, but it's unfortunate that we won't see it until, you know, maybe next year. But I know you have to get out of here. You said you have some dinner plans. But I want to do real quick do the Irish in the NFL since we're only doing one segment or one podcast this week. We'll do a space for you guys later. Um, not the best week for Notre Dame uh, this week. I know the first week there was some, some decent play. Sec second week was mostly defensive oriented this week. There are some guys, um, but it's a little bit less than usual. I know Harrison Smith was inactive. He got hurt, I think in the Vikings game the previous week and he didn't play. Um, and Julian love doesn't play until tonight. So we don't really have him to throw on our radar. Um, obviously we're recording this on Monday. I don't know if this will be released until Tuesday, but um, so we don't have Julian Love stats, but the first one I wanted to mention, and it's actually an offensive lineman. Um, I don't. Did you watch Sunday Night Football last night, Mason? Uh, no, I was upset about going 0 for 5 in fantasy, so I didn't watch it. Fair enough. I tr I wanted to watch it, and then it turned out to be a horrible game, so I stopped watching it. But at the very beginning, they mentioned Aaron Banks and how PFF has him as the number two ranked guard so far this year. Only through two, through two weeks at the time, but he was a guy that didn't start last year, was injured at times last year for the, for the 49ers. But through the first two weeks, he was one of the best guards in the, in the NFL. We already know about Zach Martin and Quentin Nelson, so maybe we have another really, really good player at guard in Aaron Banks for, that, um, you know, for the 49ers. Um, obviously, he's lined up next to Mike McGlinchey. Um, on the 49ers uh, offensive line they ended up losing don't think it was their offensive line's fault so wanted to do a quick shout out for Aaron Banks just because we haven't heard much about him since he went to the NFL um, but I know me and you specifically were big fans of his and thought he could be a really good player uh, Kyle Hamilton had three tackles forced a big fumble um, against the Patriots that was kind of his like big big rookie moment but last week I also mentioned that PFF has him as the number one rated defensive player from a rookie standpoint so far this season, I'm going to go ahead and assume that that's probably not changed too much um, so far. So um, obviously, 
you know, he's been solid for the first three weeks. I mentioned that PFF isn't always the best. However, you know, they do get paid the big bucks for a reason and their, their stats are, are, are pretty uh, recognizable. So. Yeah. Shout out to me for saying last week that he was going to force a turnover this week. So let's go. You did say that. So perfect. Um, another guy I want to highlight is Equinemius St. Brown. He had a good first week with that touchdown for the bears. Again, the stats weren't crazy this week, but he did have one catch for 20 yards, two rushes for 43 yards. If you watch the bears game, seems pretty respectable for a guy who only got like four or five targets. So um, some decent, some decent uh, numbers from him. He looks like a, actually, I mean, he looks way better than he did with, uh, I'll say this. He looks way better than he did with the, uh, the Packers. He's getting a real opportunity with the bears. And when the ball gets thrown his way, he's producing. Um, and I can say that because I'm watching all the bears games. So I'm sure there's other guys on this list that are producing more than we realize. Um, but you know, unfortunately we can't watch every game. And let us know, let us know if we missed anybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, two more guys I want to mention. Drew Tranquil just continues to have a really solid season. He had, I, mean, I know they lost this past week in a in a blowout. Ju their their quarterback Justin Herbert probably shouldn't have played, but uh, he had twelve tackles and one pass defended. He he continues to have a really solid season. And then you tweeted this one out actually, and it got me thinking. But it also made sense based on what's happened so far. But Ben Skaronic had four catches for sixty six yards. So. Um, and, and actually, I think he caught all four of his targets, too. So whenever he was targeted, he made some plays for the for the Rams. And he's been playing all sorts of positions. He was lined up in like H-back, like tight end, fullback. He was doing everything. So clearly McVay values him, which is pretty cool to see. I know he's only at Notre Dame for one year, but pretty cool to see a Notre Dame guy succeeding for defending Super Bowl champions. I mean, very likely he's going to be in the playoffs again. And it'd be cool if he had a big like Super Bowl moment or something like that. Was it the yeah. Super Bowl last year where he dropped a long pass or was that the NFC championship or something? Some, yeah, there was one, it was in the playoffs for sure, but it wasn't yeah. in the Super Bowl, but he did, he dropped like a touchdown pass or something like that. So that was unfortunate, but kid, kid's a solid player. Yeah. Um, he's starting for them. So that's big news. I mean, I think he's playing like 85, 90% of the snaps, which is big. So I mean, he's, he's a, you know, maybe you don't want to say he's a, fo a you know, a focal part of the part of the offense, but when you play 80% of the snaps, you are, you are a big part of the offense, whether you're getting the ball or not, he's probably a good blocker. That's not something that we're just looking at all the time. I know, for example, Equinemia St. Brown, a lot of bears guys like bears beat guys talk all the time about how they feel he's a great um, blocker for them, for the bears. And he takes a lot of pride in that. So that's another part of just, you know, playing football that, receivers can do to get on the field and make plays for their team you know obviously the bears have a good rushing attack and equanimity st brown is actually probably a big part of that um and i'm sure ben skaronic is doing that as well but you know caught all four of his targets for 66 yards so had a good week only other guy i you know that maybe deserves mention um jeremiah was had a you know he's had some really solid weeks he only had one tackle so i'm gonna leave him off i mean we, I, I had to bring him up anyway just because of his name but uh, this was maybe the one week he doesn't deserve any mention um, per se, but Chase Claypool three for 35 and he had a rush for 11 yards. So just kind of a solid, I, I feel bad for him, man, because I feel like the only guy that gets any play in that offense is Deontay Johnson and all of these other like solid players like Pickens, you know, Claypool, Fryermuth. It's kind of just like a couple targets here and there. And Fire Matt that, Canada. Yeah, Fire Matt Canada into the sun. Right. Yeah. Their offense could be so much better if they just, Disperse the ball a little bit more, I think, but smart. Mitch stinks. What? Mitch stinks. Well, okay. Well, that's a story for another day. 
We can go Mitch, to pick. Mitch, Mitch both stink. You can move on to uh, to pick it if you need it. So any two gloves. But all right, guys, that's all we have for you this week. Uh, like I said, we're gonna have a spaces for you here coming up. Probably what Wednesday, Thursday, maybe. Yep. And uh, Mason's back, so that's that's great. It was good to have him back on the podcast, and obviously moving forward, he's you know he's the co-host, so we'll we'll welcome him back with open arms, even if Tom was great last week for you guys. So. Again, follow us on Golden Homers, just at Golden Homers. Follow Mason at Mason Plummer underscore. Follow me at Nathan underscore Erbach. We'll be back with you later this week. Go Irish.